What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Welcome to a breath of fresh earth, taking the commitment to a clean environment to the next level. Your host, Rick Friedman, will crown the climate hero and villain of the week, along with discussing worldwide environmental issues, showcasing new products designed with the longevity of our planet in mind, and putting the spotlight on the individuals making a big impact in helping the climate and pollution crisis through social media. Now, your host, Rick Friedman. The city of Jakarta is the capital of Indonesia. Jakarta is sinking, not in five years or ten years. Jakarta is sinking today. Each year, the city sinks between four and six inches. Let's take a closer look and find out why. Jakarta is the world's second most populous urban area after Tokyo, with a population of about 36 million people. Rapid growth, ecological breakdown, gridlock, traffic, congestion, couple that with rising sea levels, and it's made the city more prone to flooding. In August 2019, the president of Jakarta announced they're moving the capital to the island of Borneo. In an attempt to avoid the worst-case scenario of the entire city slipping below the sea, they're starting a project called the Giant Seawall Jakarta. It's expected to be done by 2025. The heart of the proposal, and it's going to cost about $40 million, is a massive dike arcing 25 miles across Jakarta Bay, which is going to create a man-made lagoon with a new megacity. The combination of rising sea levels from global warming and the over-extraction of groundwater, among other reasons, has caused the coastal city to sink at an alarming rate. It's not a big surprise that the World Economic Forum has warned that it's the world's fastest disappearing city. Almost half the city now sits below sea level. 40% of Jakarta's residents lack access to piped water. Many of them resort to carrying out their own groundwater extractions. This is illegal, of course, but it's the easiest and cheapest way for them to get water. When I need water, I turn on the tap. Now I feel a little guilty about letting the water run sometimes when I'm brushing my teeth. I should be more careful about that and not waste water. I'll try to do better. Much of North Jakarta was originally swampland, but it's been converted into housing estates, shopping centers, and factories. This story isn't part of a script for the Hollywood remake of Waterworld. This is happening now and it's getting worse. Can you just picture all the cities in the world protected by a seawall? and the Department of Tourism is sending messages on their website. Hi, welcome to our country. Sorry about the big wall, but we ignored all the warnings, and now we have this expensive, stupid wall around our city. Jakarta is always flooded, but with so much of the city so close to sea level, the 13 rivers that flow through the metropolitan area take a long time to drain into the bay, into Jakarta Bay. These rivers, which should provide a source of fresh water, are largely unusable due to the unrelated dumping of waste from untreated human excrement to industrial waste. Okay, that's disgusting. To get around the lack of affordable water, residents and businesses have sunk boreholes into the aquifers beneath the city. Even some government buildings rely on groundwater pumps. Pumping out the groundwater has literally lowered the city's foundation. Some areas in the north have sunk four meters over the last two decades, putting them so far below the level of the bay that there's nowhere for the water to drain out. If the trend of sea level rise continues by 2030, the north of Jakarta will be flooded, including the International Airport. 
Jakarta is already hit by storm surges and heavy rains from cyclones. Global heating is expected to increase the frequency and intensity of those events, making flooding from both land and sea more likely. But what are they doing about it? Well, we talked about the wall. And in Jakarta, the team of scientists calculated that they would need walls 5 to 7 meters high, stretching the length of the bayfront with massive pumping stations behind the walls and deep reservoirs that could hold the overflow. That would still mean moving large numbers of people. Imagine living inside a 7 meter high seawall on the coastline. It's like a reverse aquarium. The water's on the outside and the people are on the inside. If the giant seawall doesn't work, then what? Well, there aren't a lot of great options. Well, you'd have to move the people. But how in the world do you move 36 million people? The problem in Jakarta is a warning call for everyone on the planet. United States citizens shouldn't ignore what's happening on the other side of the world because the flooding in Jakarta could happen all along the eastern seaboard of the United States. Goodbye, New York City. See ya, Atlantic City. In Charleston, South Carolina, you won't take a horse-drawn carriage around town for a beautiful sightseeing tour. You'll have to take a submarine. Adios, Virginia Beach. It was nice while it lasted. The way many politicians solve problems like this is to postpone very expensive and difficult measures and focus on the easier, short-sighted solutions. Good luck, Jakarta. I'll be praying for you. (laughs) Quick, name your top five favorite zombie movies. Come on, play along, people. It's a simple request. Give me your top five zombie movies. I'll give you a few seconds to think of them. While you're thinking, here's mine. I'm cheating because it's my show, and I've had time to think about it in advance. You say that's not fair? Okay. Start your own show. All right, my list. Number five, Shaun of the Dead with Simon Pegg. Love that guy. Number four, Dead Zone, Norwegians killing Nazis. Sign me up for that. Number three, The Girl with All the Gifts. Number two, World War Z, Brad Pitt. Do I need to say anything more than that? And number one, Train to Busan, a Korean gem that proves a father would do anything to save his daughter. But wait a second, what does this have to do with pollution or climate change? There's a new zombie entering our world, and I'm afraid this one wasn't made on a Hollywood set. Because this summer's carbon emissions from the Arctic wildfires were a third higher than last year's previous record levels, it seems that fires which blazed during the summer's heat waves are now a cause for concern. Scientists are calling them zombie fires because they smolder under the ground all winter, never dying out, burning in peat below the frozen surface. The fires then reignite surface vegetation in the spring. Hello, zombie fires! It's important to remember that man-made climate change doesn't cause these fires, but rising temperatures add to the likelihood of the fires taking hold. I used to believe that climate change was a problem that would hurt us many years from now. I mean, what's the big rush? Let's kick it down the road until things get really bad. That was a long time ago, and I've learned a lot since that time. Anyone who believes that is not paying attention to reality. When the President of the United States says the coronavirus will disappear someday, just like a miracle, it's foolish talk from a criminal living in the White House. Two weeks ago, while visiting the California forest fires and speaking with California's Secretary for Natural Resources, Wade Crowfoot, the same idiot president, said, It'll start getting cooler. You just watch. Crawford said, I wish science agreed with you. Then the man described by former Secretary of State Rex Tillerson as a moron said, Well, I don't think the science knows, actually. 
What kind of dolt would say something this stupid? Good Lord, I could scream. Let's see his taxes. Check this out. It's time for the Climate Hero of the Week. I've got three heroes for you this week from various parts of the world. And that's good because it's going to take the efforts of people from across the globe to get us out of this climate and pollution mess. First up, Leia Namugera from Uganda. She's 14 years old and a member of Fridays for Future Uganda. Leia strikes every Friday for climate justice. She was moved to act after seeing the famine caused by drought and landslides from climate change. Despite the Ugandan government's harsh response to strikers, Leah continues to fight for change. Currently, she's demanding a Ugandan plastic bag ban. You can follow her on Twitter at Namugura Leah. N-A-M-U-G-E-R-W-A-L-E-A-H. Next, C. O'Connor from Ireland. Every Friday morning, 16-year-old C. O'Connor travels two hours from her home to the city to protest. C has been dissenting in her own way since the age of four when her parents started the Fair Trade Committee in her town. Now she's part of Ireland's Youth Climate Rebellion. You can follow her on Twitter, and I'll spell it at SAOI for Climate. And David Wicker from Italy. 15-year-old David lives in Italy and has been organizing groups of students to protest via Fridays for Future in Turin and internationally with the purpose of asking governments all around the world to place the climate change issue as their top priority in their agendas and to start respecting the regulation of international agreements and treaties. Find David on Twitter at DavidWicker underscore HF. When I was 15 years old, my biggest contribution to society was, well, uh, I guess at 15 I had made exactly zero contributions to the betterment of the world. It took me a few more decades to realize each of us can make an effort to help the world. You just gotta love these kids and their relentless efforts. The youth is clearly leading the way. Hey, old people, out of the way. The kids are here to save the day. Oh, and please head to Instagram and follow the Planetary Podcast. They have a new podcast called Common Home Conversations Beyond UN 75. And the first episode features Will Steffen, Earth System Scientist. It's definitely worth 33 minutes of your time. Now it's time for the Climate Villain of the Week. Our villain today is another senator from the United States. This one is Ron Johnson from the fine state of Wisconsin. Here's a few doozies from Senator Johnson, who is not a dumb person, but he sure has some really dumb comments in the past. In 2010, Johnson said, I quote, The Middle Ages were an extremely warm period of time, too, and it wasn't like there were tons of cars on the road. He also said, I think it's far more likely that it's just sunspot activity or something just in the geologic eons of time where we have changes in the climate. And... I absolutely do not believe that the science of man caused climate change is proven, not by any stretch of the imagination. And in 2016, he said, quote, First of all, the climate hasn't warmed in quite a few years. That is proven scientifically, unquote. Of course, all that's wrong. He's so out of touch with reality. Perhaps he was born in the Middle Ages. And where was Johnson working before he got into Congress? Before politics? Johnson was the chief executive officer of a polyester and plastics manufacturer. Those companies are huge producers of greenhouse gases and contributors to climate change. 
But Johnson, who supports the man in the White House who continues to oversee the death of more than 200,000 American souls, was a key player in the Ukraine scandal, too. He cares little about something as trivial as excessive carbon dioxide in the air, as long as it's good for business. Let's talk about TerraPass. TerraPass is the brainchild of Dr. Carl Ulrich at the University of Pennsylvania, who launched TerraPass in October of 2004 as a way to help everyday people reduce the climate impact of their driving habits. Within the first year, TerraPass registered over 2,400 members and reduced 36 million pounds of carbon dioxide. When you go to the TerraPass website, fill in the blanks and see how much CO2 you're dumping into the atmosphere from your driving, flying, or energy that you use to heat and cool your house. It's one thing to know how much energy you're using. But then what? Registered on TerraPass, take responsibility for their impact on the climate by purchasing carbon offsets and diminish their carbon footprint. Carbon offsets let you help build projects in the communities across the country that reduce greenhouse gas emissions. Carbon offsets are purchased to fund these projects and diminish the impact of your own greenhouse gas emissions even though the projects could be located elsewhere in the world. After all, like I always say, we're in this together. Here's an example of how it works. A carbon offset is a certificate representing the reduction of one metric ton, just about 2,200 pounds, of carbon dioxide emissions, which is the principal cause of climate change. If you develop a project that reduces carbon dioxide emissions, every ton of emissions reduced results in the creation of one carbon offset. Project developers then sell these offsets to finance their projects. There's hundreds of different types of carbon reduction projects. Carbon offsets are available for individuals and organizations that wish to mitigate their impact on their own carbon footprint. But it's not just for community projects. You can buy personal carbon offsets. Your carbon footprint is reduced by the amount of carbon offsets purchased from emission reduction projects like dairy farms and wind turbines. This one-time personal carbon offset purchase will help make a positive impact on the environment. Let's take a look at my driving carbon footprint. I drive approximately 15,000 miles per year. I drive a 2015 Mini Cooper. I dump 10,000 pounds of carbon dioxide into the air. At $4.99 per thousand pounds of carbon dioxide, if I send TerraPass 50 bucks, they'll offset my carbon footprint and help me clear my guilty conscience. Or you can buy renewable energy credits for $5 per 1,000 kilowatt hours or help with water. And the water restoration certificates are $2 per 1,000 gallons of water. So the next time someone asks you, But I'm just one person. What can I do to help? Tell them to sign up at TerraPass.com. There are dozens and dozens of ongoing projects across the United States that could benefit from your purchase. In the Mix is brought to you today with the help of my on-air team. Today, Amy gets us started, and the always cheerful Izzy counts us up to 100. Take it away, ladies. In the Mix. 26. The White House administration is expected to finalize its plan to open up Tonkas National Forest to logging and road construction. The Alaskan forest sucks up about 8% of U.S. carbon emissions each year, and scientists have warned that logging in the forest will accelerate climate change. Number 27. 
the oil and gas industry spent billions of dollars over decades on ad campaigns to misinform the public about climate change and maintain business as usual. A secret recording of a discussion between industry executives last June reveals men who were grasping at straws as the youth-led climate movement was taking over the conversation and pushing for their demise. Ron Ness, the president of the North Dakota Petroleum Council, asked his peers, What's our message going forward? What's going to stick with these young people and make them support oil and gas? The recording, taken from a meeting convened by the Independent Petroleum Association of America, shows executives worrying about their industry's image with nearly all demographics. Young voters, female voters, Hispanic voters, really every sector except for older conservative male voters. The number one issue when it comes to the oil and gas industry is always going to be environmental stewardship and concerns about what they're doing with the environment. That was the opinion of Ryan Flynn of New Mexico Oil and Gas. He's right. 28. This next story proves we're getting somewhere. For the first time in United States history, a federal regulatory agency has put out a report recognizing climate change as a major threat to the economy. The report explains plainly that even if the world begins reducing emissions tomorrow, one only need look around at the fires and floods plaguing the country to see that the stockpile of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere has put the stability of the United States financial systems at risk. Number 29. How about some good news? During episode 14, I named William Penley as the climate villain of the week. Listeners may recall Penley was put in charge of the Bureau of Land Management, a job he was woefully ill-prepared for. Last Friday, a federal judge ruled that Penley had been serving unlawfully, blocking him from continuing in the position in the latest pushback against the administration's practice of filling key positions without U.S. Senate approval. All right, one for the good guys. 30. In episode 11, called Space Junk, I talked about the dangers of debris in space hitting the International Space Station. I almost jinxed the crew. Astronauts aboard the International Space Station were carrying out an avoidance maneuver last week to ensure the ISS would not be hit by a piece of space debris. That's according to the U.S. Space Agency, NASA. The debris passed within several miles of the station. But out of an abundance of caution, the ISS's trajectory was changed to move it farther away from the object. The three members, two Russians and one American, relocated to their Soyuz spacecraft as the maneuver began, so if they needed to evacuate, they could. A disaster avoided this time. Ladies and gentlemen, let's raise a glass to our birthday boy. Today we celebrate the birthday of Professor Ove Hogelberg, born on September 26, 1959, in Sydney, Australia. Hogelberg is a biologist and climate scientist specializing in coral reefs, in particular bleaching, due to global warming and climate change. In March of 2019, Hogelberg was named one of the world's top 100 most influential people in climate policy by Apolitical, along with David Attenborough not his brother, the actor Richard Attenborough of Jurassic Park fame. But 
Thank goodness I was able to work in a Jurassic Park reference into the episode. It's getting kind of late. By the way, has anyone watched Camp Crustaceous on Netflix? Sorry, Ove. Slight tangent while we celebrate your special day. Who else was on the list of 100 influential people? How about Greta Thunberg and former United States of America Vice President Al Gore? Not bad company for a climate change warrior. Speaking of David Attenborough, he described Ove this way. It's easy enough to imagine the ostrich-like capacity of any of us when we see something we don't like to stick our head in the sand. Well, Ove doesn't do that. Ove says the rate of change is happening faster than coral reefs can adapt genetically or relocate. And if we don't fix greenhouse gas emissions, the ocean will be a vastly different place by the mid to late century. You can follow Ove on Twitter at O-V-E-H-G. Well, that's the end of episode 16. We're inching closer to the most important election in my lifetime. There's a famous scientist looking down on us from heaven, wondering if science will garner more votes than fear. Good night, Galileo. Keep that telescope on us and make sure every vote gets counted. Thanks for listening to A Breath of Fresh Earth with your host, Rick Friedman. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast so you're the first to hear new episodes. If you want to nominate someone for Climate Hero of the Week, send it to Rick at the link below. This has been a breath of fresh air. Thanks for listening. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low-net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.